Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Electric Leftovers. My name is Jason. This is episode 220. Uh, we are closing in on our next palindrome episode. It has always bothered me, by the way, that the word palindrome is itself not a palindrome. I don't know why. It just seems like it should be. Welcome to the show. How you doing? It is Thursday, the 9th of May, which means that uh, yesterday was Wednesday, the 8th of May, which means that's the day I'm recording this because it goes out at midnight. Uh, so what do we have that is new since the first? We've got some Star Tropics 2, Zoda's Revenge from me, and some Tales of Fantasia from me. We have... A new poll up about editing videos. <clears throat> We've got some new 365, of course, featuring Sequest, DSV, and Rex Ronan, Experimental Surgeon. That's a thing. Pocky and Rocky 2, Jungle Strike, and many more. And our latest soundtrack was 70s robot anime, Gepi X, which is a fantastic soundtrack, and you should listen to it like five times. Back to back. Boom. You'll laugh, you'll cry, you'll listen to a Japanese man. And what's not to love about any of that? Um, what else can I tell you we got going on? Uh, not really anything. Uh, did do a stream the other day. I will get that added to the website sometime this week. Of, um, Vice Project Doom. Or Vice Project Doom. Which tried to be every video game ever. And worked on a lot of levels but had some really, really questionable things going on. Uh, anything else? No, I think that's it. Um, I don't know what we're doing for music yet. I don't know if the game I'm looking at has a uh, soundtrack. Let's look real quick. Oh, yes, it does. Great. I can get some, uh, I can get some music and then put it on the thing, hopefully. Okay, um, uh, music time then.
Regaining consciousness, you smell the damp. Opening your eyes, you see the stone walls of the chamber flickering by the light of the fire. You stumble to your feet and kick a helmet clattering across the floor. Slowly, the ache in your head begins to subside, and you notice the beginnings of a passage. After a few steps, the darkness consumes you. Returning to the safety of the fire, you see a L-I-D-A-R scanner on the floor. A trigger press results in a faint glow coming from inside the helmet. You put the helmet on, adjust the beam width, and proceed into the abyss. This is Scanner Sombre, uh, developed and published by Introversion Software, released in 2017. Doesn't have a genre on it. Let me fix that. It's an adventure game, adventure puzzle platformery kind of thing. Um, I got this initially, I think it came in a humble bundle, maybe, or maybe I saw it and bought it on Steam. Um, it's an interesting game, um, and I'm missing an episode on the website, I'll have to fix that too. Uh, it's, it's pretty good, um, you have to use a scanner to determine where you are, where you're going, how far away things are, how big things are, otherwise the game is complete pitch darkness, and um... It gets a little, there's there's not really, there's not monsters, there's not enemies, kind of, but there's a way to die, kind of. It's a neat idea, I didn't go back to it, the computer I had at the time died, and the one that I built to replace it on the cheap doesn't have the oomph quite needed to handle the game, so someday I will come back to it and finish it. But it looks good.
So we have a interesting situation here. Um, the game we are looking at is called Sayuki World 2, Evil Spirit of Heaven, or something like that. And um, I don't know. Let me try one more thing. Nope. So there's not an actual review for the game under its original title, uh, because we didn't get it in America under that title. <clears throat> Pardon me. What we got was Wampum. And I kind of want to just do this one detailed review, because it sounds good. But I'm also going to do this one, um, how the detailed one might be longer than the game. I'll hunker down. Okay. So real quick, a cheap knockoff of Wonder Boy in Monsterland. And I'm doing this one because not too long ago, um, Coolio and the group and I, Kirbyo, excuse me, Kirbyo, if you don't know, we're talking about uh, remakes versus reboots and all that other stuff. And there's a really cool, that's um, one of the uh, Wonder Boy games for the Turbo Graphics that got remade, but they just remade the art. And the way they did it is they kind of just like pasted over the old art. And that's cool. I can dig that. But Wonder Boy kind of gets us into this weird place where it's Wonder Boy. And I think there was a Dragon's Age game. And there's um, Adventure Island. And there's all these other games that all kind of spawn, branched off of the same tree. And they're all mostly the same game some of the elements of gameplay change anyway uh that's why i'm picking this one there's not much to say about the nes title wampum jailco nintendo 1991 or jaleco as cool kirbyo would have us say but kirbyo can't even pronounce his own name other than it is a simple yet frustratingly difficult platform game this was Nintendo's supposed answer to Wonder Boy in Monsterland, or Waystone for Sega, uh, 1986, an absolute favorite arcade adventure of mine. Being a fan of Sega's version, I became naturally curious what this version is about after all these years, and I was sorely disappointed. The basic idea is that the player guides Soaring Eagle, the game's hero, through several long and difficult hack-and-slash stages collecting power-ups and special items called totems along the way. There's a boss fight at the end of each stage, and it will drop a totem when defeated. This totem can be used against one of the other bosses, a la Mega Man, Capcom 1987. Soaring Eagle can also level up. While all of this sounds good on paper, however, the game is mostly made up of bad design and cheap enemies that ruin the enjoyment. Soaring Eagle's default weapon, the spear, is way too short to be effective, even with the add-on power-up. The player will often be getting hit instead of hitting the intended enemy. Features here are blatant rip-offs of Wonder Boy and Monsterland, yet fail to capture the charm that made them so special in the first place. For example... The collectible armor here is much less useful and almost forgettable. Enemy placements here seem truly random and not thought out, like the flying hands and the vertical parts of some stages. The stages seem to go on way too long. This is because there are parts that don't really go anywhere and just slow the action down, like the tedious jumping from leaf to leaf in the bug stage, or getting through the corridor of dynamite in the cliff stage. The bosses are what really break the game for me. They all have very cheap moves and are overpowered. Soaring Eagle better have the right totem if the player hopes to stand a chance against one. Did I, method, did I mention, excuse me, death sends the player to the beginning of the stage? Ugh. Finally, the last stage is a real doozy. It's very long, about 20 screens, and has repetitive obstacles. The first said obstacles must be crossed using one of the totems collected. The problem is the player must quickly toggle through the totem option on the screen, then break the obstacles using the totem. All this happens while powerful random enemies come attacking out of nowhere. Put together, processing through the last... Progressing, excuse me, through the last stage on a technical level is a very dissonant experience. The last few screens are filled with mini-bosses that do lots of cheap shops to the characters, ensuring Soaring Eagle will reach the end with low health. It is possible to beat the boss after using one of the totems and having full medicine. This means doing a grinding session for the medicine in one of the vertical areas near the end. A word of warning. Dying will send the player back to the beginning of this unforgiving stage. If someone can actually beat this twitchy hack and slash without cheating, my hat's off to you. There is one ideal place in the game to level up. I will leave it to the reader to figure it out, but it is absolutely necessary to progress through the rest of the game. 
Although controls are okay, the upward attack is kind of confusing, and the concept is good, it is very telling that Wampum requires the highest character level to complete. In other words, unlike this game, I believe a well-designed one should be beatable even with a character handicap if the player has enough skill, like in Wonder Boy and Monster Land or Mega Man. Uh, though, uh, excuse me, thought-out level design, enemy placements, and game mechanics are the beauty of said games. Wampum, though, takes the elements of said games, yet fails to materialize the same enjoyable experiences as in said games. The NES is too slow to keep up with the general action of the designers probably intended for anyway. All in all, this title's parts are greater than its whole, and this makes the game definitely unenjoyable and practically unplayable. Avoid this title, unless there's nothing else to play. Rating one and a half. Bad. Oh, uh, this was from March of 2016, by the way. So, couple of things. Um, I don't believe this was the answer to Wonder Boy in Monsterland. If anything, this is probably their answer to Mega Man. And this guy doesn't even mention that it wasn't Wampum to begin with. He might not even know that. Um, this was really kind of a... Oh, what do you call it? That one thing with that one guy. I don't know. Uh, Journey to the West. That's kind of what it was. Uh, in the original, our hero was uh, Son Goku. And it wasn't a spear, it was a stick. And he had a tail and all that other stuff. So, uh, it's a very well-written review. I will give Wonder Boy that. But Wonder Boy, clearly, a little, a little biased. Let's see what Seth Blizzard has to say. Originally reviewed October of 2012 and updated September 14. So, yeah, let's see if he gets it because this is long. So, again, get ready. I painted that panda brown, so now it must be a grizzly. On the surface, Wampum is a pretty basic platformer, but with a twist. It has some je ne sais quoi about it, a charm that draws you to it and makes you lap it up. But much like eating Kanzi floss, something about it is incredibly underwhelming, too. To be fair, this is one of the few games where you can play a Native American. Sort of. Wampum has no real story. You play a soaring eagle on his quest to recover seven totems and defeat somebody? Who knows, the game was released in 1991 and by that time there was no excuse not to have an introductory story. Story or no, it ought to strike most players as odd that the game features bamboo forests, flying peak pink elephants, and other things besides landscape that are not at all Native American to even a person with the most basic knowledge of Native Americans. There's a reason for that, of course. Much like with the case of Super Mario Bros. 2, Wampum began life as a title in an entirely different series. It's actually the second game in a series called Sayuki World, which itself was a shameless ripoff of Wonder Boy and Monster World. I, I haven't seen anything to back that up other than these two reviews. And everybody uses Super Mario 2 as an example of this being a thing, and they use it wrong. We'll talk about that another day. Sayuki World was based on the story Journey to the West. Told you. The Iron King is perhaps the most famous from that story to Westerners familiar with the Archie Sonics comics. Really? No one's, no one's ever... Dragon? Oh, okay. And the main hero of that story, a monkey god, was originally this game's playable character. The company behind Sayuki World, Jaleco, had a bit of a problem exporting their series overseas, and the story behind the game is very famous in Japan and China, but practically unheard of in the West. Yeah, that's, that, at the time, maybe. Still, they must have been very proud of their second title and wanted to make sure the West didn't miss out on it. In a desperate attempt to make it more relevant for Westerners, they slabbed some more paint on Monkey Boy, gave him a Native American name, and gave the sequel a standalone name. There are times when you can try too hard to please, and this is one of those times. Wampum is about the worst title they could have come up with for a game with a Native American theme. Even just calling the game Soaring Eagle would have been fine. It would have been generic, but it would have tied into the game's intended theme, too. War paint or no, this still left them with a game that had obviously not been designed with a Native American theme in mind. In their attempt to make the game's levels fit in more with the Native American theme, they hoped to give in to the uh, to give in the translation, several levels' names were changed. World of Metal became Secret Cliff, totally false, and World of Darkness became Ice Ritual, full of giant eyes and disembodied hands. Basically everything but ice and nothing that even fits with the rest of the game's theme. 
Um, and yet, apart from changing panda bears into grizzly bears, they didn't alter any of the elements that wouldn't fit into any Native American setting, not even in video game terms. I don't care how magical a North American forest is, that still doesn't explain the bouncing pink fairy elephants flying around the place, who, by the way, are pretty much impossible to hit. Or that one boss is a pink frog in a cape. By the time the final boss rolls along, it seems Jelko's lost interest in the charade because nothing about him brings to mind North America in any way, shape, or form. Ironically, the grizzly bears are a very rare enemy, when they could have done wonders for this game having a Native American atmosphere. After all, aside from wolves, moose, and eagles, none of which feature in this game, by the way, bears are an animal instantly associated with North America, like panda bears and koala bears. Apart from, that was me, apart from the weirdness that spawns from this bizarre origin of the game, Wampum is as pedestrian a platformer as they come. Thankfully, our hero, Soaring Eagle, is easy enough to control. His weapon of choice is a spear. This, of course, means he has very limited radius and not, can, cannot excuse me, dispatch any foe from afar. On the plus side, he can hit his enemies from practically every angle, so he's not as helpless as Mega Man in that regard. If an enemy is above or below him, he can strike up or down, much like Link in Zelda 2. However, the level design is very banal, and a lot of the time the game prefers just to let you figure out simple jump puzzles, and I do mean simple, they give you any proper challenges. While there are some interesting enemies like the Stone Guardians, because of the poor level design, a total of one of these appears before the final area. There are also painfully uninspired enemies like bouncing mushrooms, terrestrial octopi, and some kind of sasquatch. At least the graphics are clear and eye-pleasing. If they had to change the main character, Jelko at least succeeded admirably in making him look like a young Native American. The grizzly bears are beautiful. Some of the bosses, particularly Fire, Water, and Secret Guardians, are lovable and beautiful characters. The fire stage is probably the most beautiful stage with its desert twilight setting yellow rock and red sky. The secret cliffs tower also looks very interesting, especially the boss room plastered with pictures of the boss himself. An egotistic boss. That we need more of. We're not even halfway done. <laughs> oh boy. If Wampum feels a lot like Mega Man from time to time, that's probably for a reason. Soaring Eagle can choose between six stages, among them the aforementioned Secret Cliff and Magic Forest. And at the end of each stage is a boss who drops a totem that he can use from then on. Sound a little familiar? There are a couple of noticeable differences though. First and foremost, none of these items deplete, so you can use them as often as you like. Secondly, most of them are completely useless. Practically none of them are of any use against enemies, but instead they are used to get past obstacles like burning away blocks and breaking through walls. Because of this pedestrian level design though, you will rarely use them. Rest assured, your spear is your only real ally. Wampum also breaks away from its platforming roots in that it doesn't have lives per se. Instead, it thinks it's an RPG that says once you're dead, you gotta start the level over from the beginning. The only thing to prevent this, should your life run out, is to collect magic potions. They're like E-Tanks in Mega Man, with one noticeable difference. They are only used when your life runs out, so if you don't have a magic potion and your life runs out, tough luck. You gotta start from the beginning. Thankfully, you don't lose your progress as the levels in question are still beaten and you have your totems. You just gotta start again. The bad thing about this is that you cannot replay any level once you beat it, even though you can select them in any order. Mega Man quickly, quickly excuse me, realized this was a good idea to be able to go back to levels and stock up on items, but Wampum cruelly defies this idea. Another element of the game is old school RPG. You can level up. Your hit power isn't increased, but your life is. In order to increase your life bar, you gotta collect gourds, which look like shafts of garlic. The enemies drop these like change, and they endlessly respawn if you leave and come back. Those who fly by don't even stop coming. This allows you to use the enemies to stock up on items very easily, as each and every defeated foe drops something. Nifty, huh? If you are wondering just how many gourds you need to pick up to get one more heart on your health bar, pause the game and see the enigmatic word, more, followed by a number. To pause the game, by the way, you press select. And to scroll between totem and weapons, you press start. That goes against the basic mechanics of NES games as much as Action 52 does. Frankly, the number of gourds you need to collect to get your 10th or 11th heart is insane. The levels are not complex enough to warrant those kind of numbers for you to waste your time in to make life easier for yourself. This is a far more, there is, excuse me, a far more omnipresent annoyance in Wampum. 
The game has no useful items laying around. You only get useful items by defeating enemies aside from a few that you accidentally triggered a la Adventure Island, the last platformer you should ever try to borrow ideas from, says this game. But it's Wonder Boy! And because of the incessant amount of gorge you need to level up, you need to utilize the enemy's habit of respawning. Just find a safe spot, walk back and forth, defeating the same enemies over and over. You know what that's like, don't you? Yeah, you do. That's just like in Castlevania 2, where you have to pass the time during the night by walking back and forth and slaying the same monsters over and over to get it from monsters' hearts to buy stuff. As you can imagine, this gets tedious very quickly. We're almost done. <clears throat> Excuse me. Wampum isn't very well presented, in spite of its elusive charm. There's no special music for when you're invincible, so I wasn't sure I even was invincible at first. When you defeat a boss and get a totem, there's a short ditty, and then it's back to the map. There's even an introductory stage that's a complete waste of space. Basically, you just complete the stage, then it suddenly ends, and you're whisked to the map to select between the six remaining missions. Wampum has absolutely no sense of storytelling to it. The only parts of Wampum that elevate themselves to anything noteworthy are the boss battles. There's a particular boss called the Secret Guardian, but could be the only boss whom you can literally refer to as Balls of Steel. He looks like Gutsman did in the Captain N cartoon, only gray, and bounces around the screen before shooting his own fist at you. He adds a quirky character to the game, as do some of the other bosses like the Fire Garden, Guardian. Excuse me. He has two forms, one a smoky apparition and the other a flaming entity. As if that wasn't enough, some of the bosses will actually steal your magic potions to regain their life when they reach their second form. The difficulty of these battles segues nicely into the final level of the game, appropriately called Final Test. Set in the clouds, it takes almost as long to play through as the other levels combined, and you need to use most of your totems, as well as your head, in order to get through. It's quite shocking how the game takes this turn in difficulty. The final boss is downright impossible to beat unless the conditions are really stocked in your favor. And how would you know what the conditions are? It's not like the game gives you a hint. The music is eerie and interestingly catchy. If platforming music had sub-genres, this would be considered avant-garde. What? However, it also sounds annoyingly half-composed. That's better. As if the composer had got an interesting melody down and never got a chance to develop this further. So no tune really has a soaring climax at best, and it's downright annoying at worst. Magic Forest is the worst example of this, being a six-second loop that repeats endlessly. After five minutes of it, it was driving me crazy. The sound effects are equally unimpressive, practically none of them fitting for what they should represent. Wampum near effortlessly goes from pedestrian to cruel. These are there are many areas where enemies are very sparse and others where enemies are enemies are so plentiful it's hard to get by unscathed. The most severe examples of the latter are in a shaft when you are descending. You can't even see an enemy until they're completely on screen. It's not very good level design when you go down and you're struck by an enemy you couldn't even see. Even when you just decide to cut your losses and jump down the entire shaft, you're struck repeatedly on the way down by these enemies who just happen to be in your path. It's incredibly annoying, too, how close you have to get to the enemies in order to land a hit, even more so because the hit detection is pretty bad. Often, in an attempt to go in for a strike, I end up taking a hit myself by barely even touching the enemy. And yet, I'm not guaranteed a hit for standing at the same distance. That's hardly fair. At the end of the day, no matter how good or bad it gets, Wampum just feels like a blueprint for a game that was then abandoned and shipped as a finished game. It feels very underwhelming to play because there's no sense of finishing touch to anything in it. The setting is tacked on, the level design is mediocre and banal to the point of lazy, and the game only challenges you when it feels like it. In spite of occasional spurts of creativity and character, Wampum is a classic case of good idea, mediocre execution. There definitely should be more games where you can play as Native Americans because Wampum doesn't really deserve to be their poster boy in the gaming world. Rating 2! Holy crap, that was long. I should not have done that. Um, look, uh, Wampum, it's a game. I didn't play Wampum. I played Sayuki World. You know what? It plays exactly the same. You just don't look like Soaring Eagle and they're not Grizzly Bears. Should you play it? Have you played every other game ever? Then yeah, play Wampum.
I I can't even right now. Okay. So, as some of you may know, my phone likes to go off during recording. Um, some of you may know, I don't sit down and do the show all in one go. Uh, I don't have to. It's not live. I don't have to do that. So a lot of times I'll do all the archive stuff early, I'll do the reviews early, I can do the news a couple days early, right? The things that I can't really do early are... Um, the intro, because we talk about new stuff on the website. So it's like two days before the show comes out. I'm home from work. Got some coffee. My coffee pot died. My coffee maker died. And that was a sad day. And the new one arrived. So I've got first cup of coffee from the new maker. Everything's great. Sitting down to do the show. <clears throat> and I thought, okay. I will... Um, do the news and the review for the day because the review should be fairly short and yeah so our lead story for the news florida just florida okay hunker down hunker down Police officers in Indy Atlantic, Florida, responded to at least seven calls about a man disturbing the peace on April 7th. Patrons of Starbucks and Sassy Granny Smoothies, among others, were startled when 61-year-old Thomas Devaney Lane started yelling, calling himself the Saint, and threatening to unleash an, his, not an army, his army of turtles on the community. According to WKMG, Lane went along with an officer to the police station where he screamed at the dispatcher and pounded on the walls, but then left the building. He was located later. At, he just walked out. <laughs> he was then located later at a 7-Eleven verbally assaulting customers. As officers stood by, Lane called 911 and told the dispatcher, I need to leave now or you will all be sorry, you expletive with the saint. Lane was charged with disturbing the peace, resisting arrest without violence, and misusing 911. Resisting arrest without violence is just like walking away, I think. That is amazing. His army of turtles. 
This is the Florida's version of uh, Dale from Gang of the Hill. The way the world works, folks, in Nashville, Tennessee, as the NFL draft was taking over the town, brides and bridesmaids celebrating bachelorette parties were confounded by the crowds. WZTV reported on April 25th that the influx of crazed football fans was cramping the style of several groups. We come here to listen to country music, not hang with football boys, pouted a bride named Kara. I'll tell you who's going to pay for this. My husband. No football next season, threatened a bridesmaid named Cindy. But a bride named Savannah was more zen about the situation. We got to make the best of it. It is what it is. How is it your husband's fault that you decided to have a your party in the middle of the draft. It's not his fault. Don't take it out on him. That's dumb. Running out of time. I don't even like football. That's dumb. Running out of time. Lucas Bates, 30 of southeastern England. Running out of time. Dream big while running the London Marathon on April 20th, according to Running Out of Time, Fox News. Sorry, I'll stop. In addition to finishing, Bates hoped to secure a Guinness World Record as the fastest runner dressed as an iconic building. His costume, the lower tower known as Big Ben in London, that's not what it's called, rose several feet above his head. And that, it turns out, is what tripped him up. As Bates approached the finish line, his costume got caught on the scoreboard structure overhead. Finally, a sympathetic race steward helped Bates free himself and make it over the finish line in three hours, 54 minutes, and 21 seconds. Missing by only 20 seconds. The record held by Richard Meitz, who ran last year's Berlin Marathon, dressed as Germany's Holstenter Gate. I was hoping these were all going to be about Florida. These are not all about Florida. Is this about Florida? No. But I know where that is. I know somebody from this place. I should check in. Our least competent criminal, one way to assure a negative response to a job application, is to lift a few items from your prospective employer on the way out. So it went for an unnamed 36-year-old man in Gillette, Wyoming, who visited a sportsman's warehouse on April 24th, where he paid for some items with a rewards card, but also left the store with some bullets and a pair of sunglasses. Two days later, the Gillette News Record reported the man returned to ask and asked to fill out a job application, then walked out with two more pairs of sunglasses worth $85. $85. My God. This time, workers called police who arrested the man and recovered all the stolen items. Inexplicable. Uh, also not Florida. Too bad. The Lake... Lankinu Medical Center in suburban Philadelphia, that's probably not pronounced right, don't care, was the site of a break-in on the morning of April 20th, but it was the stolen loot that leaves us scratching our heads. Two men and a woman stuffed several colonoscopes worth $450,000 into three bagpacks. The scopes are used to examine colons during colonoscopies. This is not something that a typical pawn shop might accept, said Lower Marion Police Detective Sergeant Michael Weiss. Oh, Detective Weiss. Ha ha ha, that's very clever. My feeling would be that it was some type of black market sales. He also told WCAU that it's not yet clear whether it was an inside job. That's right. <laughs> an inside job. The theft of the colonoscopes. See, that's, that's not a joke. He's a funny policeman. Everybody loves a funny policeman. Um, <clears throat> a lame. Is this Florida? No, jeez Louise. Why spend, why call it Florida? Why spend all that money on a real vacation where you can just fake a trip to an iconic destination? That's the service offered by Fake a Vacation, a Nebraska company that offers to superimpose you in a photo from a popular vacation spot such as Las Vegas or the Grand Canyon for posting on your social media pages. According to the United Press International, they'll even offer you some fun facts about the place you choose to help make your trip stories more legit. Packages start at $19.99. No word on what it costs to get your dignity back. There's a guy on Twitter who will Photoshop you for free, and uh, I believe Wikipedia is also still free, so you don't have to pay them 20 bucks to do this. You know you've thought of it. Right? Sure you have. United Press International, them again, reported on April 25th that the Arizona Department of Public Safety arrested yet another driver using a dummy in the passenger seat to cruise in the HOV lane along State Route 202. Don't let this be you, the department's Twitter feed warned. The mannequin in this case was dressed as a woman. Does that change things? No? Okay. Uh, We don't have HOV lanes where I live. I don't know that there's even any in the busier parts of the state. Speaking of the state, awesome! Yeah, that's what we like to hear about Idaho, because Idahoans embraced the Big Idaho Potato, a 28-foot-long steel and plaster potato constructed in 2012 to mark the Idaho Potato Commission's 75th anniversary. It's been traveling the country ever since. 
promoting Idaho's biggest crop, and the plan was for it to be retired this year when Big Idaho Potato 2.0 arrives. But Christy Wolf had a better idea. The tiny house builder has converted the sculpture into a single-room hotel, aptly called the Big Idaho Potato Hotel, reported USA Today. It features a queen bed, two chairs, and a bathroom with a whirlpool and skylight for stargazing. Wolf lists it on Airbnb for $200 a night. It's a way of inviting people to experience Idaho in a unique way, remarked Frank Muir, CEO of the Idaho Potato Commission. I seem to recall I met him once. But look, when you come here, you you don't experience anything from inside, okay? You don't, I mean, unless it's a colonoscopy and it's an inside job, says Detective Vice. Uh, but you don't, you know, we don't like make you live in potatoes. And really, for as big a thing as it is, it's not a whole lot of them. When you, when you really kind of like get down to look, you got to go find them. They're out there somewhere. There's a lot of beans, a lot of corn, stuff like that. Anyway, uh, the gem state, not the potato state. Get it right. The high price of vanity. <clears throat> Pardon me. All, um, no, still no Florida. A vampire facial is a procedure during which blood is drawn with a needle and then spun to separate the plasma, which is then injected into the face. That's all you need to know. For customers of a spa in Albuquerque, New Mexico, though, the you know, nobody knows how to pronounce Albuquerque. We've just heard it so many times that you see the word and you're like, I don't have any idea. Albuquerque. Got it. That's how that works. Uh, Spa in Albuquerque, New Mexico, though, the most lasting effects may come after a blood test. The state's Department of Health is urging customers of VIP Spa, which closed in September 2018, to undergo HIV testing after two people were infected following the treatment there. Dr. Dean Baer of the Baer Medical Spa said people should always make sure they're going to a licensed facility for such procedures. There are more than one place that does this. This is just the worst example of what can go wrong. He told K-O-A-T, K-O-A-T, the spa closed after inspectors found the spa's practices could potentially spread blood-borne infections, including hepatitis B and C, as well as HIV. Gee, you think? Smooth reactions, ladies and gentlemen. It, no, still no Florida. An unnamed Ogden, Utah woman, oh no, who accused her boyfriend of cheating added emphasis to the charge in a most unusual manner on April 27th, according to a Salt Lake County Jail report. The 23-year-old was with her boyfriend in a parking lot of a strip mall in Sandy, that's also Utah, when she, quote, took her clothing off as she accused the boyfriend of cheating. The incident took place in a busy public area with constant vehicle and pedestrian traffic. KSL reported the woman told police she stripped because her boyfriend doesn't want her anymore. She was arrested for disorderly conduct and lewdness involving a child. There was a child? That worked out well for you. Great job. Uh, family values. Again, no Florida. This is a, a, they should have called it Army of Turtles. A 33, that's what I'm calling the podcast. A 33-year-old man from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania was arraigned April 29th on two counts of abuse of a corpse and one count of criminal mischief after he flushed his grandparents' ashes down the toilet. The Tribune Review reported that Thomas Porter Wells was living at his mother's house when she became fed up with his drinking and marijuana use and asked him to leave last September. Denise Porter told police she learned from a relative in February that Wells had disposed of her parents' remains, which had been stored in a box as part of a memorial in her bedroom before leaving. Wells denied flushing the ashes, but he later texted his mother that he would flush her remains too after she died. Well, what can you do? What can you do when you're trapped inside a giant potato and there's an army of turtles coming after you? You don't have many options. Yes, phone, I hear you.
Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening to this week's episode. Um, I, I may have spoken too soon in the intro when I was talking about the music for this episode. Uh, there is a soundtrack for Scanner Somber. Um, I don't know why I kept calling it Sombre, probably just to be annoying, knowing me. Uh, but I don't think I've got it. I was looking for it. Um, yeah, I think... Oh, wait, maybe. Anyway, um, one way or the other, there will be music, and it will probably be from this game. Uh, thanks for listening again. Just a, a real quick reminder, you can hear everything uh, that we talk about. See it all at lowbiasgaming.net, where you can subscribe to the show, look at the videos, uh, take part in the stuff at the forums and all that. If you would like to financially support the show, you are, of course, welcome to and uh, encouraged to, but we wouldn't threaten you to more than once. Uh, by going to patreon.com slash Jason's Groove Machine, uh, where you can get all of the episodes of Tales of Fantasia a week early. So, yeah, there's that to think about. Uh, I'm going to go, because this is doing a thing, and there's a counter, counter, a counter, a counter, uh, and yeah, Bye. Brought to you by...